This morning we're going to take a look at something that we were talking about several weeks ago in the midweek Bible study. In the midweek Bible study, we were looking through the early chapters of Luke. And uh, early on in our study of that, we were talking about when Christ first called his disciples unto himself. And today, I want to kind of follow up on that theme that we were looking at a few weeks ago in the Bible study and talk about the fact that God has a calling on our lives And Scripture makes it very clear what that calling happens to be. So I'm just going to ask it as a question today. Do you understand God's calling on your life? And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4 today, a very short portion of Scripture from Matthew 4. We're going to pick up at verse 18, and then we're going to read down to verse 22. So Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 18. And this is what it says. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege that you have given us to be able to look at your word together today. And we're grateful, Lord, for your goodness and your blessings and the guidance that you give to us in so many respects And Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture today, that we would understand more about your calling on our lives, even as we look at this portion of Scripture that that describes this calling that you gave to your early disciples. So Lord, we pray that we wouldn't just read this from its historical lens, although that's certainly part of what we want to do, but we also want to read this with a very personal lens. We want to see what your calling on our lives happens to be as well as we look at the principles that you illustrate here in this particular portion of Scripture. And Lord, we know that these are things that were true of these men, and these are things that are true of us as well. And so we pray that our hearts and our minds would be ready to receive this truth, and we're grateful, Lord, for the privilege to be called by you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that... um, One of the terms that we tend to use as believers with great commonality is the term disciple, or maybe even discipleship. Uh, Early on in my Christian walk, I remember hearing that term mentioned quite frequently, and sometimes I'd hear it mentioned as a verb, and sometimes I'd hear it mentioned as a noun, and I wondered, what does that really mean? And I would hear people actually throw out the, the, the phrase, so who discipled you? Who discipled you? And I remember at the time thinking, what if I don't have an answer? Like, can I still be in the club if I don't have a direct answer? And that's, that's a little bit more complicated than just, you know, sometimes some of us maybe are able to say, okay, an individual person discipled me. And some of us could probably say, all right, I was discipled in a group context. And some of us might be able to say, all right, it was a family member or, or somebody along those lines that, that discipled you. But I want to explain the concept of what discipleship is as we try to answer this question of God's calling on our lives because His calling and discipleship go hand in hand. So the term disciple, it's an important biblical term. It often gets overlooked because people tend to think that it only applies to a small group of people that were 
you know, uh, ministering with Christ in the midst of his earthly ministry, but it's a term that comes from the Greek word methetes, which means to be a learner or a pupil. So if you're saying you're a disciple, you're saying you're a learner, you're a pupil. And in the context of our faith, that would mean a disciple is someone who is eager to learn from Jesus Christ. So if we're a disciple, if you're a disciple of Christ, if I'm a disciple of Christ, that means my heart and my mind are open to learn from Jesus. So what would a disciple of Christ then be learning? What would we be learning if we're his disciples? Well, if we're his disciples, we're going to be learning to follow Jesus. We're going to be learning to imitate his life. We're going to learn to pass on his teaching to others. That's, in fact, one of the things that he's directly told us to do. And this is because Christ's calling on our lives as his disciples is that not only that we would become disciples, but that we would mentor and teach others so that they would also become disciples. So there's an aspect of this that's supposed to be passed on to somebody else. And we all have the opportunity to make that kind of investment in one another's lives. So, you know, even just by virtue of you choosing to interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you are contributing, maybe in a big way, maybe in a small way, to their discipleship. As you pass on what Christ is teaching you to them, or as you model it in front of them, you're contributing to the discipleship, to the ongoing growth of another believer in Jesus Christ. And in fact, just before Jesus ascended back to heaven, he looked at his disciples and he made some comments to them. And the scriptures record the conversation like this. It's in Matthew 28. I'll just read a small portion of it. You don't even need to turn there. But in Matthew 28, starting with verse 18, it says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there's a variety of things Jesus is saying there, but he's saying, look, go and make disciples of all people everywhere and be confident of this. I'm with you as you do it, as you teach them to obey my teaching, as you show them what it means to truly follow me, I'm going to be with you as you do it. So again, Jesus desires, obviously he desires that we be converted to faith in him, right? We go from disbelief to belief. We go from not believing to then trusting in Jesus Christ. So he does desire that, obviously. But in addition to that, the idea is that he's seeking to build a family of fully devoted followers, men and women who delight in their relationship with him, people who love to learn and implement his teaching. So our faith in him is supposed to uh, translate into an active way of living. You know, it's supposed to translate into action. If we truly believe in him, it's going to be borne out in actions. And we're to be a group of people who love Christ and are loved by Christ, and our lives make that abundantly clear. Received a phone call uh, just a few days ago from a friend. He's a, a believer. He lives in, uh, in the Midwest and received a call from him, and he asked me to remember him in prayer. And in particular, this was his prayer, or this is what his prayer request was. He wanted clarity on what God wanted for him. He wanted some clarity on what God wants for him, meaning he wanted God's guidance on what his next step should be. You ever find yourself in a spot like that where you're saying, all right, Lord, I need clarity on what my next step should be. This isn't something I'm able to figure out just in my own wisdom or my own discern discernment. I need your clarity. And so this friend asked me to pray for that clarity. He wanted to know 
God's will. He wanted to know God's calling for his life and for this season of his life in particular. Have you ever wrestled with that same question? Probably most, if not all of us in this room, have wrestled with that question at one point or another. So again, what is God's calling on your life? Even though the verses we just read from Matthew chapter 4 are brief, I think the microcosm of God's calling on our life is illustrated in that story and the things that are specifically mentioned there. And I would contend that the Lord desires that you and I become His disciples in the truest sense of the word. And in in simplest terms, that's our calling, right? That's the calling that the Lord's given to us. So how can we become disciples who are fully devoted followers of Christ? Let me highlight a couple things that Jesus brings out in this portion of Scripture. Let me reread verses 18 through 20. There He tells us, first of all, follow Him. So He says to these disciples, He says to them, follow me. Look at what it says in verse 18 down to verse 20. I want to reread it. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then the Scripture says, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Anyone here enjoy fishing? All right, so a good chunk of the congregation enjoys fishing. Uh, some, some do, some don't. Yeah, uh, growing up, I went fishing from time to time, but I wasn't necessarily much of a fisherman. I don't like, now don't judge me harshly on this, all right? But I don't really enjoy the, the taste of fish. I don't really enjoy eating fi- fish. And I don't enjoy eating seafood either. So, okay, so some of you are applauding that and some of you are disdaining that. I'm pretty sure I just created division within our congregation. But... Going fishing can be fun, even if you don't necessarily enjoy eating fish, right? You catch it and you send it back. A few years ago, my son Daniel, and again, I have his permission to share this with you, but a few years ago, he discovered how much he loves fishing. And he said to me, as he started fishing more and more, he'd just go over to the Neshaminy Creek with a pole and he'd start fishing and, you know, catch stuff and throw it back. You'd take, you'd take like, you know, some hot dogs, right? And you'd just kind of break off the hot dogs and put that on his bait and you do that, and then he discovered that the convenience store next to our house, the deli, sells live bait, so they started buying live bait, and as he's gotten older, I'm pretty sure all of his disposable income goes now toward fishing gear. And I asked him, I said, Daniel, is it okay if I mention that tomorrow? And he said, yeah, and he said, if you want to give them an added bonus, you could let them know what I did today. I was like, why, what did you do today? And he said, well, I just happened to stop at Walmart and spend $35 more on fishing gear. I was like, how much more fishing gear do you need? Like, how much, fi- you're not a professional fisherman. Why do you- it's like, but it's, it get, once it gets in your head, right? It gets in your head and you just keep doing it and doing it. We're all like that with our hobbies, but he finds it so relaxing. And uh, he knows every place around here to fish. Any place that a teenager could get away with fishing, he'll fish there, right? And he loves it. Well, the scripture tells us about some people that were fishermen, and the setting that this context is being shown to us in, it tells us that Jesus was walking by a sea, the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is a rather large and very deep lake. It's actually rather deep. And the people who lived in the region around the lake, they tended culturally to be adept at fishing. And my understanding is that fishing was the main trade and the main source of income for the communities that surrounded the Sea of Galilee at the time, and you would expect that based on where they were located. They're located right by the Sea of Galilee. It's very likely that fishing is going to be the primary trade of the region. And so the Scripture tells us that Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and as He was doing so, He came across two brothers who were fishermen. 
And the Scripture tells us they were casting their nets into the water. They're doing their best to bring in as many fish as they could catch. That was their trade. That was their livelihood. I think it would be safe to assume that this is precisely what they expected to be doing for the rest of their lives. They thought that this is what they were going to do with their lives. They were going to be professional fishermen. They were going to be men who caught fish as a trade, and they did that for the rest of their lives, and that's how they were going to provide for themselves and provide for their families. But Jesus called them that day and interrupted the script, and they said yes to following him. And it's kind of interesting when you look at this portion of Scripture, because in one respect, you're like, wow, that's fascinating that they... It seems as if like this is the first time they're hearing Jesus say anything, and immediately they jump out of their boats and and say, all right, cool. But when you read, and I'm going to show us this in just a second, but when you read from John chapter 1, verse 35 and following, we actually learn that this was not the first time that Jesus had spoken to these men. Now, this was the moment Jesus had called them to follow him, But when you look at, let me bring it up on the screen for us, and I'll read it for you. I don't know how well you could see it, but I'll bring it up here for us. And in John chapter 1, starting with verse 35, let me read this. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. By the way, that's, you know, Cephas, Peter, Simon. How many first names do you have? You know, he's, he's referenced multiple ways, but you could see multiple conversations that happened between Jesus and these men, and you could also see that the Lord was prepping their hearts for this decision. You know, in these conversations, in these moments, he was prepping their hearts. He was showing them, he was creating a desire within them to follow him. And we're told that they listened to his voice, We're told they left their nets, you know, back here in Matthew chapter 4, they left their nets and they followed him, and ultimately they became his disciples, and then later he granted them the the privilege of uh, serving in the office of apostle. Now, let's make this personal. Jesus wants us to be his disciples as well. So when we're reading about these men, as we're seeing the things that happened for Andrew and Peter, and we're going to see James and John, as we're seeing these things taking place in these individuals' lives... They're being called to be Christ's disciples, but understand that we're being called to be be His disciples as well. And part of what that entails is a willingness to follow Him. On your part and on my part, we have to be willing to follow Him. Keep in mind who Jesus is. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the epitome of leadership. And a good leadership, or a good leader, I should say, incorporates multiple disciplines in their style of leadership. And one of the things that you can see frequently about good leaders, and Jesus in particular shows us this, you'll notice that they don't just send you off in a direction by yourself. Good leader doesn't just send you off in a direction by yourself. Rather, a good leader invites you to follow him. A good leader 
goes first and says, join me on this quest. Bad leadership says, you know what, you're on your own, go and do and then just come back and and report. Good leadership says, join me. Join me on this. And so that's what Christ invited these men to do. That's what Christ is inviting us to do, to join him. He doesn't push us away. He welcomes us to get closer to him and then move in the same direction that he's moving. That's what it means to follow him. And that's the kind of leadership that we see in Christ. Again, we're invited to follow him. We're invited to head in the same direction that he's headed. We're reminded that he will be with us always and will not abandon us. But if we're going to follow him, and please hear me as I say this, because this is key. If we're going to follow him, if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm trying to make eye contact with every face in this room real quick, all right? Even those that are looking at their phones, all right? If you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, it needs to be on his terms, not your terms. It needs to be his voice we're heeding, not our own voice. What do I mean by that? Let me give you an example from a podcast that I listen to almost every day. Many of you know that I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey's podcast and his advice on financial coaching and teaching and stuff. And so I try and implement that stuff. And almost every morning when I'm getting ready, I try and listen to the podcast from the day before of his show. And there's a pattern you start to notice when you listen to that show. I've been listening to that show for several years. And you know when someone calls in and they're about to get in trouble because he'll yell at them. And... Uh, Inevitably, somebody will call in and he'll be talking about his plan. So he's got a, a you know, multiple step plan. Here's how you get out of debt. And then the next step you do, this is how you invest for your retirement. And these are the do's and don'ts. And this is how you generously give. And so he kind of gives you, like walks people on this, this pattern, right? And he's got a seven step process. And he says, start with number one and continue through number seven. And don't do these things out of order and don't add or take anything away from it. Pretty simple, right? So people will call in knowing that he says, don't take out loans you know, for a car, don't have credit card debt, stuff like that, right? And they'll call and they'll say, yeah, Dave, I'm following your plan. He's like, great, let me hear how it's going for you. And they'll say, all right, well, I'm following your plan for the most part. I do have two credit cards open and I'm kind of maxed out on that. And I did take out a car loan six months ago. But other than that, I'm following your plan. And when you've been listening to the show for a while, you're like, oh, it's so sad to watch someone die. He's going to kill them right now. Like, they are going to be destroyed, utterly decimated on national radio. Here it comes. I'm glad they didn't share their last name. And he'll rip into them, and sometimes he warms up to it because there's a pause, and you can almost hear the gurgling in his stomach. And then finally he gets to a spot where he's like, here's the deal, brother. It sounds like you're following your own plan because you're certainly not following mine. That is not what I'm telling you to do. You're doing whatever you want to do, but yet hoping to get the results of what I'm telling you to do. And he's saying, you're not going to get the results of what I'm telling you to do if you keep doing what you want to do when it's the opposite of what I've instructed. And our relationship with Jesus Christ operates the the same exact way. When we follow Christ, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, that's not on my terms. It's not on your terms. That's on his terms. And that's what he's encouraging these early disciples to understand, but he wants us to understand that as well, that following him, if we're saying, you're the teacher, you're the rabbi, you're the Lord, you're the master, let's mean that. Let's actually follow him. I don't, I've tried being Lord of my own life. It doesn't work. That's when I make lots of errors and incorporate many regrets into my own life. 
And I, the older I get, the less I want to do that. <laughs> I've done that enough. I'm praying to the Lord, Lord, please help me at this season of my life not to keep doing that. Help, help this message to finally click in my head. But I'm sure that we could all probably understand. There are times that we think, you know what, I know best. But Christ is saying, no, he knows best. He's invited us to follow him. It doesn't mean we make changes to what he says or only follow him on certain days when, when, uh, when we don't feel like fishing, you know? It means we leave our nets. So think about this even from the analogy of fishing. We got to leave our nets. So what would that mean? Well, in the context of fishing, I would say that, that that would mean, all right, let's leave the type of things that can entangle us. Let's leave our nets and let's listen to his voice and let's move in the direction he's moving. And we could be certain that that direction is going to be different from where our boat was already drifting. And Christ is saying, follow me, and he means it, but it's on his terms. But his terms are good. Now, there's something else that he brings out in this portion of Scripture that I hope we'll take to heart, and that's this. As he's talking to these men, he makes it clear to them, and I'm going to reread verse 19 for us in just a moment, but he makes it very clear to them that he will make them something new. So in our case, if you follow Christ, he will make you a new person. You won't be the person you were. He will make you someone new. Look at what it says in verse 19, very short verse. It says this, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's a very short verse, right? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, please notice a few things about Christ's calling on his disciples. He told them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. But that's not a statement we tend to throw around very casually. So what do you think Jesus was getting at when he made this statement to these guys? I think Jesus was telling them that their lives were going to be quite different from how they were before they followed him. He was about to give them a new mission. He was about to make them brand new people. It was a big transformation that was about to take place here. He invited them to follow him, not as spectators, right? Not just as people that kind of float around and watch him from a distance. He wanted them to follow him as his disciples, people who were saying, I will submit my will to you and learn from you. So he would be their master. He would be their teacher. He would be their leader. He would be their Lord. And they would experience a transformation of life as their relationship grew with him. And he also makes this comment, I will make you fishers of men. And that's an interesting statement that shows us that Jesus would have been familiar with, uh, with concepts that would have been particularly familiar to these fishermen. He's trying to speak in terms that they would understand. These were men that spent their lives and their livelihood catching fish. So if they're doing that, you get good at something when you do it every day, don't you? You know, if you're doing something every day, think about it, you know, if you work in a trade, you know, I see electricians, I see plumbers, I see uh, those that have worked in masonry. You know, you, you get, you know, web design. You know, I'm looking around the room, seeing different people that have been involved in different skills. If you're doing something every day for year after year after year after year, you get good at it and you get familiar with it. And so Jesus is now speaking to these individuals who are familiar with what? Fishing. And so he's using a term that would be very familiar to them, and they would see some of the nuance in this, this phrase. You know, this, this was a group of guys, keep in mind, they were used to the patterns and the activity of fish. So if you're, if you're somebody who is a fisherman, you're skilled at it, you know good times to fish and you know bad times to fish. You know good weather to fish in and good times of the year to fish, and then bad times of the year. So you know that stuff. You know about their patterns. You know about their activities. You knew the best time of day to look for them. You knew the best tools to catch them. 
But now Jesus is saying, look, apply those concepts to the new mission I'm giving you. Their mission was about to change. They would be made into new people with new eyes and with new priorities, and their mission on this earth was going to change accordingly. They were going to be used of the Lord to reach new people with the gospel. They were going to become fishers of men, people who actively spent their lives helping other people become disciples like they had become. Two months ago, I decided to do something a little different. Now, I realize that if you follow me on Facebook, you may not believe the statement I'm about to make. But a few months ago, uh, I decided to switch up some of my eating patterns. And I thought to myself, no one's going to believe that because I don't post the good things I'm eating. on. Like when I have a boring salad, I'm not like, hey, everybody, check out my salad. Look at the mixture of leaves. I even used a low-calorie dressing. Isn't that great? People would be like, boring, thumbs down, thumbs down, right? Now, the other day, my son bought me a donut from Duck Donuts, right? And it was covered in maple and bacon. I put a picture on that. 150 people immediately liked it. And I'm not exaggerating. That's the exact number. It was 150 people were like, that is a good-looking donut. And, uh, you know, like the world celebrated. And I was like, all right, people are going to think that that's like my staple now, right? You know, a few months ago, I, you know, in the midst of everything being shut down and feeling cooped up, I noticed that, like, my favorite coping strategy is, like, a bag of Doritos and ice cream, right? You know, like, that's, that's how I cope in life sometimes when, I, when I'm not feeling my best, and that's not a good plan. It's really not a good plan. And I noticed that, I, I thought, all right, you know, this lack of ability to go out and do stuff like I'm used to, and this interruption to my schedule, and, you know, just kind of being around the house and feeling, I can't tell if I'm feeling annoyed or irritated or upset or just missing stuff, but whatever, it was, it was contributing to bad eating habits, creeping back in. So two months ago, I was like, okay, enough. This is dumb. I have to stop this. And so I said to my wife, I said, I need your help with something. And uh, she's always game for this. And I have to do this from time to time. I have to pull myself back, right? And uh, I said, all right, I really want to eat in a particular way. I said, I'll break these rules when we go out to eat. And I'll, you know, like anytime something special is going on, I'll break these rules. That's fine. But for my day-to-day meals, I have to eat a certain way. And I said, would you help me figure this out and, and you know, uh, just help me with some meal planning so I could do this? And she's like, yeah, sure, I'll be happy to help you. And so I did that, and I decided I'm not stepping on a scale the whole time. I don't want to step on a scale because then it's going to demotivate me. But after a couple months of doing that, I was like, all right, it's time. I'm going to let myself step on the scale. This was pre-donut. This may have changed. But I stepped on the scale, and I was like, I lost 10 pounds. I didn't exercise, didn't anything like, I didn't do anything like that yet. I know I need to do that part too, okay, I'll try. And I also know I'm going to mess this up again and go back and forth. And, and a year from now, I'll be like, hey, I lost 10 pounds. It's like, yeah, because every winter you gain 20. Like, do you want a medal, John? Right? Like, I get it. Like, I'm not making full progress, but it's momentary progress. But anyway, I changed the way I was eating. I was really happy. And I was like, all right, I'm not stepping on that scale again for another two months. And, you know, I, 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 mean that, I, or I mainly say that because, obviously, you know, changing your eating pattern can contribute to your health, right? You know, a healthy life includes that kind of improvement. If we're trying to make improvements, we can improve our diets and, and things like that. But when we dig a little more into what Jesus is saying here, he reveals that our deepest health is not based on self-improvement tactics. So I can eat better, and that's certainly wise, I could read books that teach me new skills or time management, and that's wise. I like stuff like that. But the key 
You know, the ultimate key to the deepest form of health that Christ is offering is not found in my efforts at self-improvement. It goes deeper than that. It's dependent on the transformation that Christ accomplishes through faith in Him, by the Holy Spirit who indwells all who believe in Christ. Jesus does this for us. And he was saying, you know, keep in mind, this is in the context of him telling these disciples, I'm going to change your focus. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Your whole focus is going to change. Your whole life is going to change. I'm going to make you something new, something different than you were before. Jesus transforms the way we think. He transforms the way we see. And he transforms the way we live. And that's what he was doing for these men. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, For we are all His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So what is that scripture telling us? Well, it's telling us that God has had a plan for your life that's been foreordained. You are His workmanship, meaning He's working on you, He's transforming you. You've been created anew in Christ Jesus, just like these men were experiencing. And he's got good things in store for you to do that he's equipped you to do, but he's going to change your focus. He's going to change your priorities. He's going to help you to see things and do things that, naturally speaking, you wouldn't be focused on and you wouldn't have had the capacity to do. And that's what Christ was doing for these men. That's what he's doing for us as well. He's calling us, he's not calling us to just become an improved version of our old self, right? That's not what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to be and do something new. And that's something we see illustrated in these disciples. Now, one other thing, very much in line with this, that we need to keep in mind, as we think about the Lord's calling on our lives and what the Lord's calling us to do, recognize that your life will change drastically. Your life will change. Look at what it says in verses 21 and 22. There it says this, And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Some of you know my my background. Some of you I've only known for a short period of time. Let me briefly uh, illustrate what Jesus is talking about here with a personal experience. I don't know what year it would have been, but my great-grandfather started a grocery business in Scranton, Pennsylvania on the East Mountain of Scranton. It's a beautiful section of Scranton, Pennsylvania. I have a lot of affinity for that mountain and a lot of sentimental memories. My great-grandfather started Stongi's Market on East Mountain in Scranton. And then my grandfather, oh, by the way, my great-grandfather's name was John Stongi Sr. And then my grandfather, John Stongi Jr., took over that business. And then my father, John Stongi III, took it over from him, and then my father had a son. I'm John Stonge the fourth. My oldest son is John Stonge the fifth. I want to see how big that number can get before I head to heaven, so you better have a son. Um, but I was raised in a context where from the earliest ages, and this is truly no exaggeration from the earliest seasons of my life, I was raised in that store with the thought that I would take that business over. I was being trained from my childhood to run the family grocery store from the earliest ages. When I was in single digits, before I was even in kindergarten, I was working at that store as much as 
a young child can work, but they had me doing tasks. They wanted me surrounded by the people in the store. They let me wear a meat apron. It was funny because the meat apron had to be folded up like 37 times and then tied around 44 more times, right? And, uh, you know, it was a very complicated thing to remove after they let me wear it, right? But anything I could do to help my dad and my grandfather, who were both working at the store there at the same time, that was my life. And as a young child, I thought, this is what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll run the grocery store. My name is John Sangi. I will run the family business. This is what I'll do. I was raised from a young age to do that. And then I worked there and all throughout elementary school, and I worked there all throughout junior high, and I worked there all throughout high school, and I was there many, many, many days of my life were spent in that store, working among people, learning all sorts of things, leadership, management, discipline, um, you know, just, just entrepreneurship, like all of these things drilled into my head from a young age. And then the day came and I broke my dad's heart. And I broke his heart when I told him that I couldn't shake the fact that God was calling me to be a pastor. Now, my dad's a believer in Christ now, but he wasn't when I told him that. He didn't know the Lord yet. He met the Lord my senior year of college, but by that time, it was a couple years prior to that when I really, that really became solidified in my mind that God's calling on my life was different than his calling on my dad's life and my grandfather's life and my great-grandfather's life. And I broke his heart when I told him that. He's thrilled now. He wasn't that day. <laughs> That's a hard conversation to have when you've been raised in a context like that. And every time I read this portion of Scripture, I mean, it's a very quick read, but think about Zebedee, and think about James, and think about John. And here it tells us that they, James and John were fishing with their father Zebedee, and Jesus calls them, and they left the boat, and note that it says, and their father, and followed him. Do you know who Zebedee was? He was a prominent fisherman at the time. He had a well-established business. He had some very high-profile customers. In fact, we're told that his business was doing so well that he had hired servants to help in the business. So this wasn't just like a one-man operation. He farmed this out a bit. He had hired servants to help him in addition to his sons. Let me just show you real quick. In Mark 1.20, it says, you know, the companion scripture of this, it says, and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So here it doesn't give us the details in Matthew 4 about the hired servants, but when you look at the companion uh, scripture in Mark chapter 1, it tells us that not only was it the sons working in the boat, James and John, but also hired servants. This was an operation. This was something that was successful. This was enough to feed multiple families. And some theologians believe, and note this, that Zebedee had the contract to supply the high priest with fish. And there's a little bit of evidence to this fact when you look at something that's in John chapter 18, because when you look at John chapter 18, you could see that Zebedee's son, John, was certainly known to the high priest. It's believed that Zebedee had the contract to supply the high priest with fish. It's a pretty successful business. I'll just show you from John 18, 15. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple, so it's referencing John, it says, since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Why was John, do you ever ask that question? Why did the high priest know John? How did he know, like, how did John have a, how did the high priest know this guy by name? Well, multiple theologians believe that the contact actually happens to be Zebedee's fishing business, and that Zebedee very likely 
have the contract to supply the high priest with fish. And so as Jesus continued to call these disciples, I'm sure there were pretty big temptations for these disciples to remain right where they were, particularly people like James and John, who could have continued to lead and inherit their father's prosperous business. They could have just remained right there. That would have been pretty tempting, would it not? In this world, would that not be a tempting thing to just continue where you were and then inherit your father's prosperous business? And again, that would have been fine if that was God's calling on their life. That's God's calling on their life. That's 100% fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Again, I saw my grandfather do that, and I saw my father do that. There's nothing wrong with that if it's God's calling for you. But Jesus called them in a different direction, with a different task. And he actually called them in that task to leave the comfort and the familiarity and the prosperity of their father's business and follow him instead. And again, from that point, their lives were never the same. One of the basic marks, so if you call yourself a disciple of Christ, please note this. One of the basic marks of a disciple of Christ is the fact that their life has changed. There are a lot of people faking this. They call themselves disciples of Christ, but you look at their life and you're like, your life is absolutely no different than someone who has no faith in Jesus Christ. So why are you calling yourself a disciple of Christ, but then making up your own plan and doing whatever you feel like anyway? If you truly believe in him, you're going to actually listen to what he says. If you truly believe in him, you're going to follow him and not fight him. Do you really believe in him if you're going to fight him every day of your life? That's something we should wrestle with. And again, we all have stories about what our lives were like before we met Christ, and it's fascinating to see the long tail of what Christ has been doing in us and what he's been changing about us over the course of decades. But it's also edifying to hear stories and testimonies of what Christ has been doing in our lives and what he's been teaching us over shorter spans of time, maybe like even the past few months. You know, as his disciple, or, you know, can you testify to what you can see Christ doing in your life over the past few months? I think there should always be a testimony that can pour forth from our lips of what Christ has been doing in us, not just over the long term, but over the short term, because our da- the daily walk of a disciple is to listen to the voice of Christ and implement his teaching because we truly believe in him. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. Has your life been changed? Has your life been changed? If you're truly Christ's disciple, then the answer would be absolutely. Yes. Now here's the alternative. Do you find yourself feeling like you're still spiritually weak or maybe even spiritually dead? And when you're battling between the desires of your flesh and the desires of the Spirit, who are you submitting your will to? The desires of the flesh or the desires of the Spirit? Christ who transforms you or this world that deforms you? Which are you submitting your heart to? Which are you following? Which voice has dominance in your life? Again, our big question today was this idea of Christ's calling. What's Christ's calling on our life? Well, Christ's calling on your life and Christ's calling on my life is much higher than the standards this world drives into our minds. He calls us to follow Him. He calls us to be made new by Him. And He calls us to experience 
a life that's changed by him for good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at your word and to think about what your word communicates to us about discipleship, what it means to be a disciple, how it looks to be a disciple, what a disciple believes and what a disciple does. And Lord, we... We see this very plainly in this scripture, even though the scripture we just read is rather brief, but when we look at it and, and compare it to the companion scriptures, and when we think about it in light of the, the broad teaching of your scriptures, Lord, we're, we're just grateful for what you've revealed to us in it. You call us to follow you. You make us new. You change our lives. And Lord, this is a gift. This is a blessing. But Lord, you know that we have rebel hearts within us. I know how many times I've rebelled against you. I know how many times I've done my own thing, even though I I knew you were calling me to do something else. I know I'm not alone in that. I know that, that all of us in this room can testify to the fact that we've done the same exact thing. We've rebelled against you, and we struggle with it on a daily basis. Every day we're making decisions where we're wrestling between the spirit and the flesh, Our new heart wants to listen to you. Our old heart is still there, and it wants to rebel against you. And which one do we give sway to? But Lord, you're our master. You're our rabbi. You're our Lord. You're our teacher. You're the one that we're called to submit our hearts over to. We're to be learning from you. And as we see in the example of these men that that jumped out of their boats and followed you, as we see the, the long trail of different things that you did during the course of their lives and, and how their walk with you deepened and matured, we pray that our walk with you will mature as well. Lord, you know, right now we're where we are, but we're grateful that we can be a work in progress as you continue your work within us. Maybe yesterday we ignored your voice and did whatever we felt like, even though it wasn't godly or wasn't right, but that's yesterday. Today is a new day. And today is a new opportunity for us to submit our hearts over to you and and to say, all right, Lord, today's the day I'm going to listen because I actually believe. You impress upon my heart to say yes in a particular area, I'm going to stop fighting you. I'm just going to say yes. And I'm going to let the details work out however the details work out. But I'm going to trust you for the results. Lord, that's the mindset we eventually want to adopt. That's the mindset that you help these men to eventually adopt. And we know it was a process. We know as we go through the Gospels, we can see lots of areas where they really goof things up. And, you know, sometimes I look at that and I, I think, well, I'm grateful that their mistakes are right there for us to see and learn from, but I'm also grateful that our mistakes aren't necessarily broadcast to the whole world. But you know, you know the areas that we wrestle, you know the areas that we're struggling, you know the areas that are difficult for us, and the things that we seem to just keep going back and forth on. But Lord, we pray that by your grace that we would take heart and encouragement from what we see in this portion of Scripture, and that we would recognize that just as you operated in in the lives of these men, you're willing to do the same in our lives as well. So with joy, we pray that we would submit ourselves over to you, and that we would look forward to each and every day where we can entrust our lives completely to your care. We're grateful for all of these things. And we're grateful for this reminder from your word today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.